Jonah chapter 2. Oh, and if you're here, um, you can see me later about paying me royalties for using my body in that photograph and then just putting your head on there. So even the mic knew that was a lie. Uh, let me just say a couple things on, on your way out. You stop by our table. This is uh, um, the last service, obviously, and um, you could pick up something. Uh, the, the profit from it helps us uh, minister to the poor and the afflicted in the world. And so uh, let me tell you about a couple of them. Um, the one you're going to hear tonight is found in here. I, I really got into uh, the book of Jonah and as it pertains particularly to Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. It's the day that they realize that all of their sins are forgiven. And so um, it's the holiest day of the year. And yet on Yom Kippur, the book of Jonah was the, ho- was the, was the required reading. And so you can learn a lot about yourself in there. Um, I landed on something this afternoon from there. I'm going to share it tonight. Um, and you can find a full discussion on it in this thing called Running from God. We have it in CD and DVD. Also, let me tell you about this. Um, I, I did a thing called How to Read the Bible Like a Hebrew years and years ago. Uh, it was a six-hour thing. And then years later, I had learned so much more that I did a four-hour supplement to it. And there's a little confusion because people say that we titled it the same. I'm going to retitle it now that the confusion is there and it's obvious. Um, but this DVD formatted one is a four-hour supplement to the other one. It's meant to go with it. So it's not the same at all. So you could pick that up to sort of expand, uh, expand where you are. Also, um, this is something the Lord put on my heart this afternoon. Um, if you're here and you've been here through the week and you stop back by and you look at some things and you're like, you know what, this stuff looks good and I, 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 wish, I just wish I could afford it. I, I just really wish I could afford it. Um, if that's you, now I'm not talking, I'm not talking if you can afford it. If you need to afford it, if you can afford it, you need to sow into the work of the kingdom of God, okay? And into yourself. But if you can't, um, if you come back and see me tonight, I have something for you, okay? Um, I, I, don't want to, I don't want anybody to leave empty-handed that would really want to, uh, to, to go there. So um, also our online mentoring is up and going. You can get a flyer about that, and, uh, and w- we will go forward. Okay, I had something different planned for tonight. And then this afternoon, as I, was, I, always, I always preach the sermons in my room. Um, so if you're wondering, how does he not look at notes? Um, it's just because I practice a lot. And so um, this afternoon, I, I went in to practice the sermon that I was going to be sharing tonight, and I started reading through some things, and I kept landing back on something else. And so I stopped and asked the Lord, I said, is this, is this something you'd have me share? And uh, it wasn't what I planned on sharing, and I really felt a strong yes. So I haven't even looked at these notes in forever, so um, I really went through it a lot this afternoon, so I'm going to give it my best go. I, w- I want you to turn to Jonah chapter 2. It's the story of fish and storms. Now, let me just give you some quick introductory observations about the book of Jonah in general. When we run from God, we run to the strangest places. We never run from God to something better. We never run from God to something good. We tend to run from God to very strange places. I, 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 ran, I ran from God and I entered a life of drugs and alcohol and, and, and it, ended up, it ended up ruining my life. Yeah, not, not good. I, I, I ran from God and I got into this that ruined my life. I, I ran from God and I ended up in jail. I, I ran from God and I did this. It, it, it's never good stories. T- typically, it sounds something like this. I ran from God and when I ran from God, I also ran from everyone in my life who was a source of wisdom and truth. I, I also ran from every place in my life that was a source of wisdom and truth. And so we all run at times. A couple of things we learn in the book of Jonah is this. God is patient, but he's also pragmatic. God is patient. He's also pragmatic. Another lesson from the book in general 
is that God is generous with His grace, but He's also thorough with His discipline. That God is generous with His grace, but thorough with His discipline. The, the judgment and the discipline of God is a reality. The problem, is, the problem with it is, is that we a lot of times miss the heart of it. That throughout the scriptures, the judgment and discipline of God was always meant to bring about fruitfulness. It was, all, it was always meant to somehow save the soul at the end of the day. Even Paul in the New Testament. Give him over to Satan. That sounds pretty bad. Give him over to Satan so that his soul might be saved in the end. Um, that, that sometimes God lets us feel the consequences of what we're doing fully so that ultimately we come back to him. Ezekiel 14 um, if you, this is scary, if you approach God with an idol in your heart, he'll answer you according to the idol. <laughs> Whoa. In, in other words, if you approach God already knowing what you want him to say, and you're approaching him in a manipulative sort of way, he'll answer you according to the idol so that you may experience what that idol brings and ultimately be brought back to him. Um, in, in the New Testament, uh, the person in heaven, he, it says that, that his works were burned up. His soul was saved, but yet through fire. That, that, that God's judgment is always intended to bring... I could give you 25, 30 scriptures that, that even with Sodom and Gomorrah, when you think of Sodom, I mean, God never destroyed something so permanently as Sodom, correct? I mean, you're talking about burning up, sulfur, fire, and smoke rising. Yet in the book of Ezekiel, it says that God restored Sodom. So, so that the judgment of God is always, it's never intended to be permanent. The judgment of God, as a matter of fact, God says that my anger will not contend with man forever. Um, that, Because that, why? Man couldn't handle that. I, Isaiah, what was it, Isaiah 57, he says, I saw the ways of man. I was enraged by his sinful greed. And I hid my face in anger from him. Yet he kept on with his willful ways. In other words, I saw the ways of man, I hid my face from him in anger, yet man kept on with his willful ways. Then it goes on, I have seen his ways, but I will heal him anyway. Um, the heart of God, judgment or correction or discipline, the discipline and the correction and judgment of God is always thorough. But the discipline, correction, judgment of God it's always an attempt to get you back without paying you back. That God is trying to get you back without paying you back. That God is generous with His grace, but He's thorough with His discipline. Now, with that in mind, let's read Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, from inside the fish. Now, at the end of chapter 1, it says that God prepared a fish. The word prepared in the Hebrew there is mana. Mana. What, which, which means this. What comes from something as one kind continues from the same kind. What comes from something as one kind continues in the same kind. Let, let me make it a little more living Bible-ish. Well before, well before Jonah was prepared for God, God was prepared for Jonah. Well before Jonah was prepared. In other words, one of our God concepts, in order to maintain our sanity, one of our God concepts has to be that God is smarter than us. That he's always outthought our rebellion. 
that, that whenever, whatever plan A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, whatever we can come up with, God always has the answer. He always has a way back. He always has a fork in the road we can take. He always has a plan to rescue us. So God prepared. So, so Jonah thought he was... The, 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 the tone of the book of Jonah is humorous. It's meant to be a joke. Jo- Jonah thought he could flee from God. <laughs> uh, Jonah thought he could flee from God. Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord. And so, so the writer here, uh, whether it's Jonah, whether it's a narrator, says, but God was prepared all along, in other words. So from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. And he listened to my cry. You hurled me into the sea, into the very heart, into the deep, into the very hearts of the seas. The current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. See the pattern? I've been banished, yet there's going to come a time where I can come back again. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. There's the concept that the earth beneath barred me in forever. Was he in the belly of the fish forever? No, he was in the belly of the fish for three days. The concept of forever in the ancient Hebrew world did not exist. And this is what I mean by that. The concept of forever meaning hour after hour after hour after hour after hour after hour after hour. The word translated forever is the word olam. Olam, which, in, which, which is um, an intensity of an experience. It's, uh, it's to the vanishing point. It's sort of like uh, uh, w- when you're in class or when you're experiencing something like, uh, I got to play Kate Kidnappers Friday. And um, that was really cool. And when I was playing Kate Kidnappers, the time flew by. That's the word olam. Like it's an intensity of experience where it just seemed like you got lost in time. It's also true negatively. Like if you've ever been sitting in class and it was so boring the second hand just seemed to never move. So essentially, Jonah's saying this intensity of experience was, was huge. I was beneath, it was beneath me, uh, bear, sorry, bear me forever. Um, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good, for salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, there's a lot going on here. Just a couple of initial application points and observations. Number one, we all want others to live God's way. There's something inside of us that we all want other people to live God's way. When we see someone backing away from God's way, there's something in us that goes, no, 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 that's not Right. We all want other people to live God's way. Compassionate, merciful, honest, have integrity, um, be nice to people, generosity. We all want to see people act that way. And although we want others to live that way towards us, there are times where we live outside of God towards them. Sometimes, even though our heart is to have everyone else act within God, when we ourselves are not doing that as well. So an initial application point is to ask ourselves, where do we want other people to treat us differently than we're actually acting? That's number one. Number two, sometimes we schedule our surrender to God for after our plans are done. You ever done that? Sometimes we, we schedule our surrender to God for after our plans are done. That's what Jonah did. It wasn't that Jonah didn't believe in God. It wasn't that, Jonah, that God wasn't his Lord. It wasn't any of that. 
God asked Jonah to do something that he wasn't willing to do. Jonah says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to Joppa and then I'm going to go to Tarshish. Tarshish was at the end of the known trade route. It would have taken one whole year to go to Tarshish and back. Well, hang on. To travel the world for a year, you have to have money. You have to have means. You have to have opportunity. Jonah's saying, listen, I hear you, Lord, but I've got some plans. And after my plans are done, then I'll come back and surrender to your plan, or at least I'll consider it. Maybe, maybe you're on that journey as well. Maybe you're on a journey with or from God, and you're having to turn down the volume of your conscience so that you can cope. Is there any place that you know you're running from God? And you can know this, if it's any place in your life that you have to turn down the volume of your conscience just so you can cope with it. That's where, that's where we find these moments. These moments normally lead us to a moment where we can't imagine the chaos or manage it, and we have to quit running. We know the day of reckoning is not escapable. We know that the direction of our lives is, being, is bringing to a head. It's not that we don't believe in God. It's just we have some deals that we're going to do, and after that, we'll get in alignment with our values. So we schedule our surrender to God for after we're done with our plans. In Jonah's situation, it's not that he doesn't understand. He hears, he understands, he says no. He was called to Nineveh, he went to Tarshish. A year-long journey. Now, a couple thoughts. Number one, God is generous with his grace. You look, at, you, look at the, you look at the story of Jonah, and every single step of the way, God was stepping in, whether it was to provide a fish, or whether it was to command the fish to vomit up, or whether it was to turn the hearts of the Ninevites back towards God so that they didn't skin Jonah alive when he showed up whether it was anointing the worst sermon ever preached in the history of the prophets, whether it was providing a vine, whether it was all these lessons, God was generous with his grace. Number two, God was thorough with his discipline. Number three, God sends storms in our lives, storms and fish, never to pay us back, but always to get us back. Now, let's look back at the scripture, and I want to start sort of break down some of the key ideas. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. This is verse 1. And he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. How, how many of us are driven back to God in our distress? You're, you're staring at a pregnancy test. Are you thinking about money? Are you thinking about pursuits? Are you thinking about plans? Are you thinking about dreams? No. What are you saying when you're staring at the pregnancy test? Oh, God, help me. You're, you're, dealing, you're, you're dealing with something. You've been hiding something. So you pick up the phone to dial the numbers to confess something before someone found out what you've been hiding all along. Dear God. You're waiting on the results of a medical test. Oh, God. You're walking out of the job office with a pink slip. See, distress is the very force that overpowers intellect, theology, rationale, or resistance. Distress is the one thing. We can, we can have all of our arguments lined up about why God is this or why God is that or why God isn't this or why God isn't that. And sometimes all it takes is a little distress to get us out of all that and drive us back to the person himself. So in the book of Jonah, God listens and responds to the desperate cry of desperate people who are in desperate circumstances of their own creation. How nice is God? He listens to the desperate cry of desperate people in desperate circumstances of their own creation. That's how nice he is. This is something we miss about God. We think that there's no way we could come back to him given how we treated him and ourselves. 
But in the book of Jonah, as well as the rest of the Bible, there's a constant invitation. Come back, return, repent. Repent and return are the same exact word. Return, repent, come back. There's a better way to live. No matter how far down this road you've got, there's a better way to do things. Some observations about storms and fish. Number one, unexpected crisis in our lives reveals who we really are. This is a conclusion to the story of a man who was going to the end of a trade route a day. It would have taken him a year. He had options. He, he, he had money. In Jewish history, he had means. So here's a man with means, money, some sort of power, a bit of a name. And God tells him to do something. He says, I want you to deal with this. I want you to deal with this darkness. You don't have to fix it. Just go there and name it. He says, I'm not going to do that. The word Joppa means beauty. The word Tarshish means wealth. Jonah ran from what God was told, told him to deal with in a pursuit of beauty and wealth. He, he had options, he, but, but in the belly of the fish, there were no options. He, he ends up, how does this work out for him? He ends up in the belly of a boat and then gets thrown into the belly of, of the ocean and ends up in the belly of a fish. This does not turn out well. In the, in the belly of the fish, Jonah doesn't have wealth, or at least it doesn't matter. He doesn't have prestige, at least it doesn't matter. He doesn't have a name. In the belly of the fish, in Jonah's case, the storm and the fish drove Jonah to a place where it was just him and God, and that forced him to deal with things about who he really was. It forced him to stick in there, it forced him to answer hard questions. Storms reveal the real you. Storms also change the perspective of the value of things. Storms, fish, they change the perspective of the value of things. Hey, have, have you ever went through something that the rabbis teach that all of us can find ourselves in the book of Jonah? And isn't that true? Hey, have you ever went through something that after you got through it, what you thought was important before actually wasn't that important anymore? A good friend of mine was here this weekend, and he just came through throat cancer, and he's completely clean and in full remission and all that. He had stage four throat cancer. He couldn't speak uh, for 18 months, he, he, it, part of the treatment for the throat cancer is that he, he has no saliva for the rest of his life. So, so right now, all of you can, can draw saliva up into your mouth. If, if I was to say, I want you to picture a nice lamb shank with good mushroom gravy and maybe some lamb mint sauce, you can draw that into uh, your mouth. And we take it for granted because we've had it our whole life until it's stripped away from you. When we were talking about it. He told me, he said, he said when I was in that hospital bed in the Gold Coast and, and I thought, you know, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to make it or not. All kinds of things came into perspective that weren't there anymore. That, 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 that I used to think this was important and now I'm realizing it's not important at all. So in one sense, unexpected crisis can force us to deal with who we really are. In another sense, unexpected crisis actually revalues things in our life. And sometimes we need that to happen. Number three, unexpected crisis exposes a lack of faith, a weak point maybe we need to be, deal with. Sometimes we might think we have faith until we face something bigger than it. There, there's this incredible story about Jesus and the disciples, and the storm comes up, and Jesus is sleeping, and the disciples wake him up, and they say, don't you even care if we perish? Don't you even care if we, if we perish? In the Hebrew version of that gospel, this is what it says, don't you even care if we're eternally separated from God? Which is a bit of an exaggeration, don't you think? 
that in the middle of the storm, we tend to overreact, we tend to be irrational, we tend to make something big out of something small. All kinds of things start going on physiologically. I've told you this before, but it bears repeating. In crisis, in moments like that, if we get angry or panicked or anything like that, uh, an enzyme is released in our brain and it tells all the blood to go to our major muscle groups to prepare for a fight or to run. When that happens, we lose 25% of our IQ. When you lose 25% of your IQ, you're really close to retarded. And so there's all kinds of things going on. You can't make a decision. You can't complete a sentence. You do things that when you look back on it, you go, what in the world was I thinking? If you're here tonight and you're married and you get in an argument and things escalate and both of you get angry, essentially you have two mentally retarded people trying to solve a problem. It's bad. It's bad. So, so the fish and the storm they, they, they make us deal with who we really are. They, 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 they change the value of things. They expose a lack of faith. But what about when we see someone else going through something and we see the faith they exhibit? It's moving. Think about the last person you knew who fell unexpectedly ill. But even in the middle of a disease, they use words like, I just feel peace. I have joy. I have confidence. That's moving and it motivates us. It motivates us to do what? It motivates us to put our list away. Hey, have you ever seen something on TV or heard someone's story and it made you think, what am I complaining about? Um, I saw a guy on Dr. Oz the other day and he didn't have health insurance, which in America is a real problem. He, he didn't have health insurance, which means he couldn't afford treatment. And it started out with a little lesion on his lip and then it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger to finally when he was on Dr. Oz, this thing was like this on his mouth and it was, it was lip cancer. It was cancer in his mouth right there and you should have seen this guy it was not fixable by the time he got there I saw that and I thought what am I complaining about there was a woman my dad and my, my dad runs a, uh, a grief a grief group my dad's my dad's wife his um, um, her daughter died um, very prematurely she uh, she died of a brain tumor she was diagnosed on a Friday and she died on a Monday it was that quick and uh, it's my stepsister and so a, as a result um, um, they now minister to people in grief. And so they run this grief group um, to help people deal with the pain of grief and try to get them internally healed and help them deal with the emotions involved in that. And, and there was a lady in my dad's last grief group that had lost four of her five children. And, and, and you look at that and go, that's not normal. That's, that's, that's not, and, and you think, wait a minute, I, need, I might need to put my list away. I, I was in uh, Port Elizabeth and there was a single mom and we were handing out food and we ran out of food to hand out, and this lady came, and we had no more food. And I told her, I said, listen, we, we have to find you something. So I was looking through everything, and I looked through everything. And what I found um, back in the back somewhere was a, a quart Ziploc bag of peas. And that's all I could find. So I came out and I handed her this quart-size um, Ziploc bag of peas. Tears welled up in her, in, in her eyes. She had six children behind her. Tears welled up in her eyes. She said, thank you, Lord, we can eat tonight. And I thought to myself, what's on my list? What's on my list? There's always stories. There's these motivational speakers. Have you seen the guy with no arms and no legs that can make a sandwich? Pretty cool. Um, <laughs> uh, there's, there's this preacher named David Ring. Early in my life, he changed my life. He was born with cerebral palsy and he, you look at someone's story and, and you ask yourself, what are we complaining about? 
Sometimes unexpected crisis in our life does things to us, but unexpected crisis in other people's lives, and we see how they handle it, it also does something in us. There's something that's healing in suffering. That, that if, that, that in, in other words, don't miss the opportunity to make the most of a good crisis. Um, what, what are we, you know, I listened to these stories. I saw these people. I, I saw the guy on Dr. Oz. I, I, I'd heard about this lady in my dad's group. I, that, and, and then I asked myself, what, what, do, what kind of things do we complain about? So, someone didn't speak to me. They were mean. The cable guy is late. The, the tradie didn't show up on time. They never fixed that road in a way that doesn't hold up traffic. Um, the things that we complain about, the things on our list, get exposed in the middle of fish and storms. So, so storms reveal a lack of faith by showing the faith of others. Have you ever seen someone's faith that revealed your lack of it? Have you ever seen someone's generosity that exposed your greed? I mean, there's been times where I've been, working on, I've been working on generosity in my life and building it around my life and being more of a giver and more of a giver and more of a giver. And, um, and there was a moment last year where I thought, man, I'm feeling pretty good about where I am with this. And then I turned on the TV one night, and there was a show called Extre uh, Extreme Home Makeover in America. I don't know if it comes on here. And um, there was this couple uh, up in Pennsylvania, and they were feeding like 15,000 meals a week out of their back kitchen. And like their floor was falling through the ground, and their children were having issues with holes in the walls and all of this stuff and extreme home makeover came in and they started asking the guy they said how much do you make a year he said oh we make hundred and forty thousand dollars a year and um which is hardly poor and um yet there there was holes in for and they said well hundred forty thousand a year why wouldn't you fix this floor why wouldn't you fix that hole he said if you saw what comes through here every week if i fix this floor that's hundreds of meals i can't feed someone's gonna go hungry so i can have a floor are you kidding me where would my priorities be? And when he said that, I went, I, I, I'm just going to go faint now. Um, <laughs> uh, so here's a guy on $140,000 a year, and his family was living on 40, and they gave $100,000 of their personal income to feed people who can't eat. That is righteousness. So as much generosity as I had thought I had built around my life, when I saw that, it exposed some existing greed still left in my heart. Sometimes fish and storms expose the things that need to change. So fish and storms, unexpected crisis, reveal who we really are. They change the value of things. They expose a lack of faith. And they expose flaws in our perspective. Jonah's prayer is very interesting. When, when you read Jonah's prayer, it's, it's, almost, it's all direct quotes from different psalms. Um, I cried to you in my distress. That's Psalm 18 and Psalm 120. Waves and breakers were coming over my head. That's Psalm 132. I was deep into the realm of the dead. That's Psalm 120. Up from the pit you brought me. That's Psalm 30. Salvations from the Lord. That's Psalm 3. Jonah at least had his word down. He's in the belly of the fish. And where does he turn? He turns to the word. He turns to the life giving. He turns to light, life, increase. He turns to this and he begins to repeat this maybe over and over and over again. And when he wrote it or, or he translated this to a, he narrated this to a narrator, whichever one, he, he said, this, this was the essence of what I prayed. All of these things are direct quotes from Psalms. Now, now honestly, I think some of this is, I think this might have been Jonah's last prayer, but it was hardly his first. I think when you're thrown out of a boat into an ocean and you get swallowed by a big fish, 
the first words out of your mouth aren't necessarily inspired of God. But, but when he knew he had to write it all down, he, made it, he, he just gave, he like gave a compilation of his best effort. But nonetheless, his prayer, think about prayers. We have all kinds of prayers. We have Thanksgiving prayers. You could think about this in terms of giving grace for a meal. What is it to say grace for a meal? There's a couple of aspects to it. One, bless this food. In other words, if there's anything poisonous in it, let it, let it go good in my body. Which doesn't mean so much in New Zealand, but in Fiji takes on a whole new connotation, right? In, in, in some places you go, it's like, wait a minute, hold on. Um, let, let's, let's get this out. The, the other connotation of blessing food is what? We're eating, Lord. May we always be aware that there are people who aren't. Um, so thank you. There, there's a thank you sort of. There, there's also sort of petitions like asking God for things. This prayer, this prayer, other kinds of prayers are screams for help. Think about this. This is how eloquent Jonah wrote this. Father, I've just been swallowed by a large marine mammal. I am smelling things that you can't imagine. I'm going to be passed through its bowels shortly, which is going to be quite unpleasant. Please, if it be your will, rescue me, Lord. Save me from this hot, dark, smelly dungeon, O great and powerful God. Do we pray like that? No. In the belly of a fish, we scream incoherent thoughts for help with God. Sometimes the belly of the fish is the very thing that helps us get real. We, we, we quit saying things like, oh, bless you, brother. Isn't God great? We quit doing things like that because unexpected crisis forces us to get real. It forces us to say things like, you know what? I'm in so much pain last night, I didn't think I was going to make it. And it actually helps us deal with darkness. Sometimes the fish is the very thing that helps us deal with those things. See, we tend to think that Jonah needs to be rescued from the fish. That's how it's taught. God rescued Jonah from the fish. Actually, it's not true. We, we tend to think that Jonah needs to be rescued from the fish. Actually, when you read the story, it was the fish that rescued him. The fish, the storm, the crisis is what saved Jonah from himself. It made him deal with himself. It put things in perspective in his life. It changed the value of things. It changed his perspective. It drove him back to the word. Jonah did not need to be saved from the fish. The fish was prepared by God to save him. In Jonah's prayer, it's not a prayer of, of lamentations or really help. By the end of it, it's a prayer of thanksgiving. It's a thank you for the salvation that God had brought him. In reality, the fish brought him salvation. See, we tend to want to be rescued from storms and fish. But oftentimes, they're the very things that rescue us. They save us from ourselves, and they save others from themselves. See, in the book of Jonah, it starts out with two wills, God's and Jonah's. By the middle of the book of Jonah, you got one will, God's. By the end of the book of Jonah, you have two wills again. Essentially, the end of the book of Jonah, if you go back and read it, the book of Jonah ends with a question. Should I not be nice to 120,000 people, Jonah? And he leaves it. The, the book of Jonah starts out with two wills, God's and Jonah's. In the middle, it's just one will, God's. By the end, it's back to two wills. Essentially, the book of Jonah ends with a cliffhanger. Are we going to have part two? Do, do we need to go through something again so that we can lose ourselves that he might increase? See, sometimes storms are the very thing that save us. Perhaps the lesson is not God get me out of something. It's God thanks for saving me from me. It's God thank you for going through this with me. 
See, like, how many of you have said, Lord, save me from losing my job. I don't want to lose my job. Lord, rescue me. Rescue me from the, from the option of losing my job. Lord, don't let me lose my job. Save me from this. Actually, losing your job could be the best thing for you. What if losing your job is what propels you to start your own business and you end up doing well that you would have never had the guts to do yourself? You, you know why I'm here today? I, I, I'm here today because I lost my job. Actually, um, I was in a very unfortunate situation where um, a church hired me and then couldn't pay me, which is really unfortunate because um, they offered me quite a good salary. And, um, and then I went to pick up my paycheck and uh, we don't have it. To which I said, do you have some of it? <laughs> nope. <laughs> we were just believing God, brother. I'm going, well, that's nice. Um, does your belief have food attached, attached to it? And so what ended up happening, it was just unfortunate. They were not bad people. It was, no, it was just an, it was just an unfortunate thing. And it put me into a very, it put me into a very unexpected crisis. Um, no job. $1,600 in the bank. Um, the, the place I had left had already replaced me. And um, driving back across the country, not knowing what in the world was coming next. I got six hours down the road. You know how far it is to drive across America? Very far. Had a lot of time to think. I got six hours out of California and my phone rang and it was Clark Taylor. Hadn't talked to Clark in, I don't know, five years. He says, is this Shane Willard? I said, yes. He said, Shane, this is Clark Taylor. I said, I said hey, Clark. He said, listen, um, about three weeks ago, God started dealing with me about having you come and be the keynote speaker at um, my pastor's conference. Um, and um, sorry, it's taken me a little time to get to you. I just wanted to see if you were free. To which I said, yes. I'm quite um, free. Um, <laughs> he said, uh, he says, my first pastor's conference, um, I, don't know what, I don't know what the turnout's going to be, so we're, you're going to have to pay your own way here, and we're going to believe God. I'm like, that would be fantastic. Um, I had 1600 at the bank. The plane ticket was 1580 We uh, put that in there, came across the sea with $20, and um, there was... 70 pastors there, and they all but one booked, and here we are. Um, and so, so I tell that story to say that what I thought was a disaster was actually God saving me from something. It was actually God providing something. So, so, so the prayer, God save me from losing my job. Well, okay, I'll go there with you. Um, but maybe losing your job might be the best thing for you. Lord, save me from this whatever. Maybe it's the best thing for you. Save me from this family crisis. Maybe the family crisis saved you. Um, save me from this divorce. Well, maybe it saved you. Lord, save, save me from this idea of moving away from my hometown. Oh, maybe, maybe actually it saved you. Save me from this unexpected bill, Lord. Oh, no, no, maybe, maybe it saved you. See, storms and fish are a lot like fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Jonah was trying to get away from the presence of God, yet the whole rest of the book is about Jonah and God. So did Jonah succeed? Listen to verse 3. You hurled me into the deep. You hurled me into the deep. Hang on, think about the story. Who hurled Jonah into the sea? The, the sailors. Jonah has clarity in the belly of the fish. He says, no, no, no. It wasn't the sailors that did it. You did it. Jonah sees clearly. In the middle of a storm or in the middle of a fish, sometimes that's when you see things the most clear. Which leads me to this question. When did Jonah actually repent of where he was going? 
Like, was it in midair over the side of the boat? What Was it when he actually hit the water? Was it going down the gullet of the fish? I, I, the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. But, but you do know this. It was way before three days. Jonah changed his tune way before three days. God is generous with his grace, but he's thorough with his discipline. You start looking at the discipline of God. Wonder for 40 years in the wilderness. At what point in that 40 years do you think they said, we got it, Lord, can we go back now? Um, 70 years in exile. I mean, all kinds of things. See, good parenting is equating rebellion with pain. Good parenting is equating rebellion with pain. Um, my, my dad had a belt. And don't, don't feel bad for me. I needed it. And, and trust me, all of us wish yours would have done it more probably. Okay, so if, if you, he would do this. He, 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 he hardly ever had to hit me. Hardly ever. Every now and then he gave, I can tell you my dad never, well, he, in general, he, he never gave me a spanking I didn't deserve. And it was never over the top. It was, it was appropriate discipline. But what he did is he attached pain with bad behavior. And once sufficient pain was attached with bad behavior, there was moments where I'd start to cross the line and all he had to do was take his belt off and set it down. And, and before he ever had to discipline me, I changed right then. Um, how many, can I get an amen? How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? The, the belt itself, not the act of discipline, but the belt itself brought about the change in behavior. See, sometimes we need storms and fish to act as belts in our life. It, essentially, it acts as those moments that go, um, uh, do, do we need to pull this out? Um, what we have to start, though, with the subject that God is kind and he is loving and his judgment and his discipline is never forever. It's always meant to bring about correction for greater fruitfulness, just like a dad just like a dead. It's called classical conditioning. God's discipline sometimes goes far beyond what is necessary to teach the lesson so that we'll never go there again. Listen to verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of, of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. See, Jonah is pointing out something. In the middle of unexpected crisis, we cling to God, not to the things that we were pursuing other than God. We, we don't cling. In the middle of a fish, in the middle of the crisis, in the middle of a storm, we don't cling to the plan. We, we don't cling to the money. We don't cling to the position. We don't cling to Joppa. We don't cling to Tarshish. We cling to God. What we pursued instead of God is not worth what we lose. In our distress, we do not cry out for what we were pursuing, the person, the standard of living, the deal we were working. No, we cry out for God. We cry out for God. Sometimes the storm in the fish is what we exactly need. It's not that we need saving from the storm in the fish. It's that the storm in the fish is what's saving us. The storm in the fish is actually saving us. Let me close this tonight with a couple application points, application questions. Number one, is there any place in my life that I need God to rescue me from? Is there any place in my life that I look at and I say, God, I really feel like I need you to rescue me from this. Once you have that in your head, I want you to ask a second question. Is there any way that it is actually rescuing me? Is there any sense of it that it's actually rescuing you? Maybe it's forcing you to deal with the real you. Maybe it's forcing you to name your darkness. Maybe it's bringing things to the surface. Maybe it's bringing emotions up 
that haven't been brought up for years and years and years, and you're not going to go forward in wholeness without bringing it up. Maybe, maybe this thing you need rescuing from is the very thing God is using to rescue you. What do you need rescuing from? Is there any sense that it's rescuing you? Number three, is there anything in my life that needs to be value shifted? Don't feel bad. Jonah was one of the heroes of the faith, but everything in his life needed to be value shifted. Jonah was a racist bigot. He was not a very nice person. He actually wanted God to destroy a group of people four days after he was rescued from the belly of a fish. It's not very good. You can't celebrate your deliverance from a fish by hoping other people get swallowed. Come on. That doesn't work. And the whole reason he didn't want God to be nice was because the Assyrians weren't Jews. He's a racist. What in your life is the fish or the storm trying to value shift? In other words, don't go through the fish, don't go through the storm without getting out of it what you need to get out of it. What is God saving you from? What needs to be value shifted? Where does your perspective need to change? Let me ask one last question. Is there anything in me that needs to be swallowed in order to become new? Jesus equated Jonah's three days in the fish with his three days in, in, the, in the tomb. In, in other words, sometimes things need to be swallowed in order to be made new. Jesus said it this way, uh, if a kernel hits the ground, unless it dies, it can't come up new. I came here this week with a progression of thought. A, a, a way of hopefully moving this congregation to another place. I, I hope that it's been a blessing to you. I, I hope that we were willing to relearn the love of God and we sort of saw Genesis in a new light that we don't owe God anything, that we don't have to babble. I hope we learned some things about how we handle our money and our treasure. I got a tremendous response this morning about light and dark and choosing light and not blaming other people for where we are. My, my last question to you is this, is whatever you're going through in terms of fish and storms and unexpected crisis, what are you going to get out of it? What needs to change? What needs to be moved? What needs to be swallowed so that life can become new for you? What are you believing God for? What are you believing God to do in you? Not in the circumstance, circumstance or whatever. Whatever you believe in God to do in you, are you willing to name it now? Just between you and God, are you willing to name it? You want to tell God, this is what I need. This is what, this is what I want to be made new. I want to be made new in this area. This is darkness in my life. This is disrepair. Lord, I thought the fish was what I needed saving from. Actually, the fish is saving me. This is what I need to deal with. I bless you tonight with the courage to deal with those things. Uh, in a way that some places call it an exhortation, I exhort you, I challenge you to, to, to take a moment Look deep down inside and don't waste the crisis. If you're not in a crisis right now, good. If, when the next one comes, don't waste it. Uh, likely you don't need to be saved from the crisis. Likely the crisis is saving you. Um, I, I bless you tonight to be able to find the love of God even in a crisis. I bless you tonight to deal with your darkness. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we honor you. We proclaim you are king. Lord Jesus, I give you my life fresh and anew. I ask you to be my Lord. Forgive me for the places in my life that I've turned down the volume of my conscience to deal with it. May I never turn down the volume of the voice of your spirit. 
Lord, let your spirit speak strong. Right now across this room, I ask that your spirit begin to speak to the hearts of people. May there be a bravery that comes over this place to name the darkness, to deal with it, so that we don't keep going through fish and storms over and over and over again. Let's deal with it. There's a real sense of the presence of God in here. Lord, just right now, I pray that you'd speak quietly into the hearts of people. This is what needs to be made new. A later writer said it this way, God makes all things new. Just right now, let a spirit of newness come over you, a new heart, a new spirit, a new commitment to live in the light. Let that rest over you. A, a new commitment to be more aware of the needs of people around you. A new, just a new thing. A new song, a new dance, a new story, a new life, a new everything. I'm speaking to you now very prophetically. Even though I don't sound like a prophet, I, I, I'm speaking very prophetically. It, it's a new thing. Bay City is an organization. Lots of transition, good things, people all over the world, impact. It, it's, it's new now new the crisis you've been living through it's new let's go to a new place new song, new dance new rhythm, a new beat a new smile a new life new God makes all things new Lord would you sweep through this place and continue to be faithful to make all things new you get on this prayer, maybe you want to just whisper this underneath your breath, Lord, I give you my heart and I give you my spirit. Would you, would you make all things new? Would you make all things new? All things new. Lord, thank you for my fish. Thank you for my storm. Thank you for my crisis. May I get the most out of it. May my suffering or crisis or fish or storm, may it inaugurate something of creativity and life and newness and spirit in me. this way. God bless you real good. Thank you so much for letting me be your guest all week. I do look forward to coming back next year. We'll organize the dates probably tonight before I leave because it's getting booked up, but we'll, 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 we'll let you know. Um, I always look forward to coming back here. I count this as my New Zealand home because I do feel at home here. I love you guys. I think you have one of the greatest pastors in the world and some of the most talented people around this place to do something for the kingdom of God that's bigger than you could ever imagine. I challenge you to stay in it. Be for it. Put the hammer down. Put the throttle down. And let's change this world, hey? Changing the world is so much more important than CSI. Tape it. Let's, you know, come on. Let, let's, let, let, let's do it. God bless you real good. Thank you so much once again. I'll turn the service now back over to you. Amen. Thank you, Shane. Let's give him a great clap. Just really appreciate your ministry. Thank you. Really love your spirit and gifting. Can we pray for you before you go? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, come on. Father, we just thank you for your gifted servant. We thank you for Shane. We thank you for his heart. Thank you, Lord, that he's taken the lessons in life and has turned them into gold, turned them into revelation that has been able to touch our lives. So, Father, today we just bless Shane. We bless you. We bless you with an increasing revelation of love of God. 
We bless you with uh, increase in your ministry influence, new doors opening in nations across the world. We bless you with the favor before God and before man. We bless you with a fresh flow of revelation. You may continue to walk in that flow and bring people to new dimensions of love for the Word of God. Father, just uh, we commit them to you. Bless them, keep them. And uh, Father, let your face shine upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Shane. We enjoyed it so much. That was really good. I don't think we need to sing a lot of songs. I think just take what God has just put in your heart. Uh, I felt God was speaking to so many. I know uh, so many people who are facing particular issues right now, and difficulties and challenges. And that was really a prophetic word, a word in season just for you. So why don't you get the CD and just say, well, I need to just go back over that, get perspective, get change in value, just open my life and see it in a different way. These elders are shockers for complaining about everything. But we don't want to complain. We want to celebrate God is with us. God is helping us. God never lets us go. Can you say amen? Amen. God bless you. Have a fantastic week this week.